Welcome to another episode of Breakfast Theology. My name is Josiah Kane. And I'm Chuck Jones, still. <laughs> Today we are at IHOP once again, and I also once again had the chicken and waffles. I can't seem to get away from it. It's pretty good. I had eggs, bacon, and taters. That is a good classic and American toast. combo. So we are going to be releasing this episode on February 6th, which is a Thursday. And so we decided that for each Thursday, we will go over that chapter of Proverbs. So we're going to be going over Proverbs chapter 6 today. And just kind of on the onset, Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And Proverbs is kind of the structure of short, small phrases filled with parallelism um, that are meant to instruct people on how to live their lives. Now, it was originally written to young men, and Solomon wrote this mostly, most of the book, to his sons so that they would grow up to be wise. And so we're going to uh, dive into Proverbs chapter 6, kind of explore its themes, talk about some of the wisdom and uh, hopefully be able to walk away feeling a little bit wiser and more prepared for life. Yes. That sounds like a good good plan. So, just looking here at uh, the NASB translation, it looks like we have a few divisions here. So, 1 to 5, 6 to 11, 12 to 15, 16 to 19, and then 20 to 35. Why don't we kind of just read through those divisions and then we'll We'll talk about them. We'll go first. Perfect. My son, if you become surety for your friend, if you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, and deliver yourself. For you have come into the hand of of your friend, Go and humble yourself, plead with your friend, give no sleep to your eyes, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, and a bird from the hand of the fowler. Hmm. I noticed right off the bat that deliver yourself is, is mentioned twice in these first five verses. So... It seems like you somehow, by word of mouth, put yourself in debt or made a promise to your neighbor, and now you're caught in your words, and apparently you're not following through. I don't know. No, you're going to have to follow through. You're going to have to follow through. So what is is Solomon saying here? Is he warning us not to make commitments? No. He's telling you, listen, this is what's going to happen if you do. Mm. He's not telling us, don't do that. Don't. Don't. No, he's saying, this is what's going to happen if you do. If you become surety for your friend. If you have shaken hands in pledge for a stranger. You are snared. 
So he's more describing what kind of commitment comes from speaking yeah. a promise or you shaking wanna be, hands. You want to show yourself to somebody being a real good friend and, listen, I'll cover that for you. If you do that, you're snaring yourself because you're committing yourself. You're making a vow. And at the time that this was written, vows were serious business. You didn't make promises lightly. And then he kind of, well, hopefully, it just, um, when you said that, it made me think, hopefully that's, we can live by that same kind of rule of law today, you know, yeah. where we don't take commitments and promises lightly. And, and we even see that in the Gospels, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Anything beyond this is evil. That's right. Jesus also wants us to have a commitment type of mentality where, hey, if you're willing to do this, do it. But if, you're, if you don't think you can do it, then just say no. And I think that's, that's a really good piece of advice because I think it, in two ways it really touches me. You hate the yes man who never really commits to anything. They always say yes. yes. They always say yes. You know, you, or you might know people who overcommit, they can't say no, and then they end up spreading themselves too thin. They're stressed out. They're unreliable. And then there's also so much power and freedom in being able to say no. Yeah. There's a lot of people who have a hard time saying no because they feel like they're going to be in conflict with the person that they're saying no to. But every single time you say no, you're saying yes to something else. And you have to say no at some point. You can't, you can't always say yes. But it's just nice for that reminder of like, hey, if you are going to be saying yes to something, you better be following through with it. Because it could cost you. It will cost you. It will. And then why is he going to sleep in verse 4? You have no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Deliver you yourself you, like a gazelle. You make this a priority above everything. Above sleeping and eating, you get this taken care of. So that's what he means when he's talking about delivering himself. Or deliver yeah. yourself. So like... You got this take hook on you. Yep. You got to get off that hook. To get it done. First above everything else. So if you make a commitment, you're stuck to it and get it done as soon as you can. Uh -huh. That's kind of that what that chunk of the first five verses are saying, you think? God expects that a vow that is made be kept. Yeah. That's all there is to that. That's the expects covenant. Expects a yeah. round to be round. Expects a promise to be kept. A square is square. And a promise is kept in the story. Yeah. Okay, so let's move on to the next little set here. All right. <laughs> 6 to 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which, having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come your poverty will come in like a vagabond, and your need like an armed man. 
Another indication of sleep when the first portion of this proverb he said, give no sleep to your eyes, no slumber to your eyelids. Don't give in till it's done. And here he's talking about, hey, how long will you slumber, you sluggard? <laughs> when will you get up from sleeping? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep? And poverty is going to come upon you because you're not doing what is necessary to do. I want to do a little Google search here. I'm going to see if ants sleep. Okay. <laughs> Just a little curiosity that I have to answer. Okay, so here is what science has found. Ants do indeed rest, or we could call it sleep, for eight minutes every 12 hours. That's kind of what they found. So obviously they're very busy. I mean, it's not like the rest of the 11 hours and 52 minutes, they're just kind of like sitting around and then they take a nap. It's, you've ever watched them? They are on the move all the time. And they're working hard to prepare for themselves. That's kind of what is talked about here with the, the provision and the harvest. They're preparing them for themselves when times get hard or... Yeah. Or even when times well, don't I don't get think hard. they make predictions. Right. The little ants. Say, sitting around having a, a G7 summit. Say, <laughs> so, well, you know, I've been watching the signs and it's going to be... <laughs> hard, a hard winter. We better stock up on some things. I don't think that's what they do. Mm. Yeah, they're not. They're not trying to game the system. Right. <clears throat> I think uh, Proverbs six ten is one of the little, or one of the probably the most popular, one of the more popular proverbs. A little rest, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. You know that's something you hear all the time, but it kind of gives us really strong, vivid image in my mind, because, like, I've laid down on a couch before, and then kind of just, like, roll it around my side and cross my hands and put it under my head, and, you know, it's nice. It's nice to lay down. Yeah. After a long day, it's, it's tempting. Taking a nap in the biblical sense. Yeah. There's times to rest, and rest is good, but... This isn't talking about that. This is talking about perpetual laziness. And this ultimately will bring ruin onto your life. Yeah. As it says, your poverty will come like a vagabond. It's something that you don't want. They stick around, you know, someone who is... You won't be able to chase it off. Yep. And it'll come in like an armed man who is here to steal from you or hurt you. Breaking in against your will. I mean, that's strong. A strong language. Anything else you'd like to pick out of those, that little section? Nope. Okay, you want to read 12 to 15? 12 to 15? Mm -hmm. A worthless person, a wicked man, walks with a perverse mouth. He winks with his eyes. He shuffles his feet. He points with his finger. Perversity is in his heart. He devises evil continually. He sows discord. 
Therefore, his calamities shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. Hmm. The worthless person, the wicked man. So there's can't a, say anything good about anybody. Yeah, there's a lot of descriptions here about what this kind of person looks like. Someone who has a perverse mouth. It's interesting who winks with his eyes. Is that kind of like a... It's like, usually, you, it's a secretive kind of, or like a, there's a hidden implication with a wink, you know, like you wink to like signal that you're lying or there's some kind of deception going on. And he signals or shuffles with his feet. He points his fingers and mine says, with perversity in his heart continually, he devises evil, he spreads strife. Therefore, his calamity will come suddenly. It's kind of the same kind of language we saw in the, the passage before with the sluggard. Yep. All of a sudden, boom, this armed man's going to be here. The vagabond's going to be here. And for the wicked man, it's a kind of a similar situation. All of a sudden, this calamity is going to come. You know, it's, it's going to be unexpected, just like a thief breaking into your house. He's broken. He'll be broken, and there's Without, no healing. There's no, yeah remedy for that. Hmm. So imagine if you were, imagine if you were Solomon's son or a, a kid and you were a teenager and you're reading this. I mean, these are really simple, I mean, they're observations. They're simple observations about how life works. But if you learn from them, then you can evade making Maybe. the same mistake. And so, imagine trying to be a king, like you're, you're Solomon's son, uh -huh. and you're in line to be the king, potentially. Or you're going to be a prince. You have to be someone worthy of holding that position, or at least Solomon's trying to get someone worthy of that position. I mean, his son ultimately is the one that leads to the divide of the kingdom. So obviously... Rehoboam didn't take the advice of Proverbs very no. well. But we can apply this to our life. We have a chance to become more wise. So we've learned if you make a commitment, you better keep it. Don't be lazy and don't be wicked. <laughs> or bad things are going to come for you in the future. Well, the description of verse 12 is a worthless person mm. you don't want to be you don't want to think of yourself as a worthless person no no one wants to be worthless that's right <clears throat> but that's what a wicked man is and as much as his pride may puff him up it's right there worthless yep just like a balloon popping can you unpop a balloon I can't. A wicked man might be inflated with his pride, but when that calamity comes, the it it's pops. Popped. It's popped. There's no going back from that nope. without God. Or I guess God could put a balloon back together, I guess that's what I'm saying. Why don't we, uh, you want to read the next section for us? Uh, 16 to 19. Okay. Yeah, I like this portion. 
These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies and who sows discord among brethren. There you have it. There's a interesting uh, uh, literary literary device being used here when it says that there's six things the Lord hates, even seven. And it's kind of this escalating kind of language that Proverbs uses sometimes that just shows how much God is against something. And here we see those things listed out. Haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a wicked heart, feet that run to evil, and false witness, and one who spreads strife. And, you know, sometimes in Proverbs you can really chew over something and you can look at it from a lot of different ways, but I feel like this one is pretty straightforward. This is pretty much right there. Don't do these things that God hates. Don't have prideful eyes or haughty eyes. Right. Don't be prideful. Yes, and you know, every one of these things, uh, these things, proud look, a lying tongue, shedding innocent blood, devising wicked plans, running to evil. All of these things can be fun, enjoyable. Mm -hmm. It's not like... Uh, it's going to cause you harm or leave a scar, but it, are, it is the things that the Lord hates. It's not very often that the Bible straight up comes out and says the Lord hates something. When you see it listed that God hates something. Yes, are you saying to pay attention? You should be paying attention. Exactly. So a lying tongue. You know, I, I read a thing about lying a couple of days ago. And lying is really, really devastating. This fellow was writing a thing about language and evolution and how when the human language came into being and people started talking to each other, it was a communication thing. Well. Then, it, then there were, they were able to uh, help each other, join in, take down bigger animals, find more food and that kind of thing. And lying, according to this author, his mindset, lying wasn't something that was considered because it, all they knew was the truth. If it is, it is. If not, it isn't. So, it's like in the early stages of communi verbal communication, say someone said there's animals in the next valley over, when there really wasn't. So everybody gets together and goes out to hunt up these animals and they're not there. Well, communication then 
doesn't seem to be very effective. It didn't work, so why bother talking? And his idea was that they might have just gave up talking altogether if people lied. Yeah. It is. Lying is really stealing from somebody. I lied to you, and that takes away your ability to make a decision. Yeah. So it's stealing that from you. Lying. It's a de yeah, it is a very damaging thing. And God, God loves the truth. What else does he know? Right. He spent, at least biblically, he spent, well, I guess all of, all of time, but here recorded in the Bible is about 4,000 years of history recording people's lives and stories and telling us things to convey to us the truth of reality. And the opposite of that is a lie, you know? And it goes against God's very nature to lie, to, to not be truthful. And so he doesn't want that seen in his people. No. It's not something that's plausible. So, the other thing about it is, verse 17 in Proverbs 6 says that he hates a lying tongue. And then verse 19 says, a false witness. I'm telling you what I saw, but it really didn't happen. Mm -hmm. And then that speaking lies, that can sow discord among his brothers. Yeah, that's uh, the reason for having two witnesses to condemn someone was to try to eliminate this false witness. Yeah. Of course, no. colluding with another individual might not be a difficult thing to do. But the attempt is made to root out the false witness, to, to find the truth. Yeah. I'm going to say I had breakfast at IHOP this morning. Mm -hmm. You back me okay, up? So, I'll back you uh, up. Why don't we move on to the ladder section here? This is a big one. Okay. It's 20 to 35, or at least how, that's the division in my Bible. Okay. <clears throat> my son, observe the commandment of your father, and do not forsake the teaching of your mother. Bind them continually on your heart, tie them around your neck. When you walk about, they will guide you. When you sleep, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk to you. For the commandment is a lamp, and the teaching is light. And reproofs for discipline are the way of life. To keep you from the evil woman, from the smooth tongue of the adulteress, do not desire her beauty in your youth, nor let her capture you with her eyelids. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread, and an adulteress hunts for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Or can a man walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? So is the one who goes into his neighbor's wife. Whoever touches her will not go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy himself when he is hungry. For when he is found, he must repay sevenfold. He must give all the substance of his house. The one who commits adultery with a woman is lacking sense. He who would destroy himself does it. 
wounds and disgrace he will find, and his reproach will not be blotted out. For jealousy enrages a man, and he will not spare in the day of vengeance. He will not accept any ransom, nor will he be satisfied, though you give many gifts. You know, this whole passage is... Well, I think one of the greatest falls of humanity is sexual sin. Yeah. It's one that has been around forever and is obviously a a large part of uh, the sin. And so I think that's why Solomon gave such a large portion of chapter 6 to this kind of topic. What really strikes me is this super strong metaphor in 26. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. What does your version say in 26? For by means of a harlot, a man is reduced reduced to a crust of bread. <laughs> that might be even worse than a loaf. <laughs> You're the part that's cut off and left on the plate by the two-year-old. You know, it's crazy that we use this analogy of turning a person into an object. You know, you're you're merely a, a meal or like some kind of consumable material to a, to an adulterous woman, to, well, I guess to a harlot in this case, a prostitute. You know, you're just a means to an end, you know? You're not a person, you, you have no value. It's amazing that we use this such strong language of turning this person into food. Like, that's, that's the value that you have now. You went from something being made in the image of God to now a consumable object. Yep. And you're there just to be, be consumed. And adulterous, an adulteress hunts for the precious life. Like, that is what she's looking to destroy. With and, flattery. Yeah. And Proverbs uh, really sets up these two different women. There's the woman of wisdom and the, and the harlot, the prostitute. And young men, which this book is written to, are usually pretty interested in women, which is why this works well, to teach them. So Solomon's saying, hey, go after this, this beautiful woman of wisdom, the one who's going to be good for you in the end. Don't go after the adulterous woman, because and the end of that is nothing but destruction. And it's also just practical advice. Like, near the end of chapter 6, it's like if you sleep with another man's wife, he's going to come back. He's going to get you. He's going to be enraged, and there's nothing that's going to spare you. He will not take anything as ransom. He's not going to... You're not going to smooth it over. You're not going to smooth it over. There's no amount of gifts you can give that's going to make that right. Yeah. It's best just to keep that from happening. Don't even go there. Yeah. But there's interesting, I think it's Proverbs 7. I'm not sure. I think in Proverbs 7 it talks about the same kind of thing, about the woman who looks out of her window and sees a simple man and then lures him to his death. Yep, like a, a lamb to its slaughter. Well, there's a very interesting phrase in there. I don't remember exactly what it is. It's towards the end of, end of the chapter. 
something along the lines of they were all strong men to begin with hmm. it's kind of like think of an ox being led to the slaughter an ox is this really strong impressive animal that can pull and move lots yeah. of things and is intimidating and then you put some food in front of its face and you can walk it right to the altar and cut its throat and kill it without it putting up a fight yeah. and men and women people like can be led away so easily by something that entices them and that ultimately will bring destruction and Solomon so much wants us to stray away from that and this applies more than just to sleeping with someone else's wife or a prostitute you know any sin is usually something that entices us which is why we do it in the first place and so if we if we are becoming more aware of what entices us and we're diligent to understand those things then we can be wise and turn away from them we can make a different decision yes <laughs> the proverb says understand your own ways the wisdom of the prudent is to understand his ways but the folly of fools is deceit yeah fooling yourself the easiest lie to get away with telling is one to yourself yeah it doesn't take much of an argument does it nope it's really easy to justify yourself yeah I was thinking the other day there's two ways to be justified you can do it yourself a do-it-yourself project or you can be justified through Jesus yeah uh, only one of them is really valuable mm-hmm and the one you're going to do on yourself is that really worth the effort you know this uh, I think applies to maybe people who are younger my age or younger verse 20 and 21 where it says observe the commandments of your father and the teaching of your mother of course if if you have parents who are actually caring and are godly and it says bind them continually on your heart tie them around your neck because they're going to watch over you they're going to walk with you they're going to they're going to keep you alive and I know there's a lot of people my age and younger who think that their parents don't know anything uh -huh. and that they don't they shouldn't listen to them uh, they think that they are out of touch they they don't know what's going on they're overly cautious you know there's a lot of different a lot of different slanders you could cast at your parents but at the end of the day most uh, not all the time but usually your parents have your best interest at heart and listening to their advice is not always a bad thing it took me a little while to really come to that realization that hey you know my parents aren't as stupid as I think they might be maybe I should give them a listen and that's exactly what Proverbs is reinforcing here I like how it says that the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light Imagine a, a dark world. And you're walking. Don't at night. have to imagine it. Yeah. 
let's say you are let's say you're camping and you go and get something from your car and it's dark it's going to be a lot easier to walk with the light to go over there than if you just hoping you don't step on a snake or trip over a log or step in a hole having a light is essential to traversing a dark world yeah. And Jesus is a light, it says that. But also these righteous teachings are light. They guide us. They, their wisdom, when we apply it, leads us around obstacles that a lot of other people don't see. They help us traverse things that other people fall victim to. Yes. And if you're listening to this, you've heard some of that today, and now you are doubly doubly responsible if you fall in one of these holy traps. Doubly lit. Yeah. You are... You know the right thing to do, and still not doing it. And that, I mean, obviously we all have failed and made mistakes, even though we know better. That's that's true foolishness at that point. My uh, my in-laws' family has a really funny thing that they do. So they say, if you mess up once, you're not an ididiot. You know, everybody gets to mess up once or something. But if you do it twice, then everybody can call you an idiot fairly. So. My father-in-law left his laptop at a hotel, and uh, no one called him an idiot. You know, like they drove quite a bit away, so they went back and got it, and then he did it another time. And man, did they let him have it? You know, <laughs> that's kind of the rule that we have. And so, hearing this wisdom is is and learning from it is like doing it the first time. You know, like except you don't actually have to make the mistake. You know. It's out for you. Hey, don't do this. You don't have to learn it by experience. And if you do it again, you are really just showing your 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 folly, your your stupidity. You know, if you decide to do it. So, is there anything anything else that you think we're missing from Proverbs chapter six? I mean, obviously, you could chew on this for yeah, a long for time. Long time. No, I think we worked it over pretty well. Yeah. And I think if you just keep reading over and over it again, different things come out and it has different flavors. It's that's the kind of the thing with Proverbs, it's it's complex. And these aren't straightforward rules, like these are these are more general rules. So this is They're how not life the usually commandments. Works. right. This is the way things work. Yep. Most of the time. All right, well, thanks for listening to uh, another episode of Breakfast Theology. Um, if you want to get a hold of us uh, or ask us a question or anything like that, you can email us at breakfasttheology at gmail.com. Until we'll, next time. We'll even take criticism. We'll even take criticism, Chuck says. So address it, address it just to Chuck if you're going to criticize us. Yeah. <laughs> no. But uh, really, feel free to interact with us. That would be great. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Until next time. Goodbye.